brands have more power than they've had over their consumers for a very long time because data is power. And with that power comes a lot of responsibility, but brands have a choice to decide whether to use that power for social good or for social ill. Hey everyone, before we get into today's episode, just a reminder that you can become even more future fit by visiting the Booyah website to learn more about future fit masterclasses aimed at building better customer experiences. You can also read my future fit yourself column at bizcommunity.com as well as check out our future fit networking events. All the links appear in the episode notes. And now on with today's show. Are you seeking to broaden your horizons to stay relevant and become future fit? Do you want to fuel your creativity and inspire innovation? Or are you simply looking to put a kapow back into your business? Then look no further. Join Carmen Murray, entrepreneur, innovator, and tech fundi with her big personality and presentation style as she interviews celebrities, alchemists, newsmakers, and business experts to discover the stories behind their success. The Carmen Murray Show will open your mind and help you turn knowledge into magic. Let knowledge be your superpower. And now, from Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Carmen Murray. Today, we have Bronwyn Williams in the studio, and we are going to talk about the rise of a trend known as the rise of the big brother and things that are happening within that arena. As Bronwyn said in her previous episode, the judge, the jury, the priest, and the executioner. So um, welcome back, Bron. How are you? Great, thanks in yourself. So talk to me, what's happening in terms of the Big Brother brands? What's your concerns and where is this heading? Okay, well, we need to take a step back to see how this sort of trend has evolved to where it is right now. And this has really grown out of brand activism. So we started seeing brands and businesses getting involved with social justice issues. So you see sort of controversial type adverts, things like the Nike Colin Capone campaign, for example, and brands pegging their colors to a social cause. And this often meant sort of picking a side in a controversial issue. That's where we were last year. But we've moved on from there into the next phase of what we call morality marketing, whereby these brands are now starting to actually not just attach themselves to causes, but to actually draw the line and say what is in and what is out, what's socially acceptable, what's not, how that Overton window should be drawn. And more than that, these brands are now putting punishments in place for consumers or individuals, even not consumers, who don't play by the rules of the social justice square that the brand is drawn. So examples for that would be things like in the US where certain restaurants have started banning customers that walk in wearing a MAGA hat, which is quite amusing. It's quite funny, but it's only funny because, you know, Trump's a bit of a figure of fun. It'd be a whole lot less fun if brands were denying entry to people, say, who just didn't support the, say, the ruling government in a totalitarian state, for example, or when that sort of discrimination is being done against not just political leanings, but also maybe to do with things like what religion you are. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a sort of a fine line there where we're going from brands saying, we support this cause, to brands saying, we're going to punish you if you don't play by the rules or if you don't side with us on the same 
things that we stand for. And that, of course, has issues because that, that's a very slippery slope into discriminating against religion, sex, gender, racism, all of those sort of things. So right now it's kind of cute, but it could become quite scary in the long run. So that's the next phase there. But following on from there, we see the separation of brand and state and brand and society breaking down even more. So we start getting to the point where brands are starting to censor conversations. Like on Twitter, for example, they've taken also once again quite a controversial stand, which not everyone would agree with. They say that if in their terms and conditions, you can read now, they changed it last year. If you tweet a man is not a woman, that's considered hate speech under Twitter's policy and they can ban you for that. So this is a brand that's stepping into censorship. Other things are where big tech brands and companies that have quite a lot of influence on society are getting involved with things like propaganda. Once again, the Facebook meddling in the U.S. elections would be a great example of that. So then our brand is actually becoming a spokesperson or a spoke mouthpiece for the powers that be. So that's like another crossover. So the brands and businesses are just having more and more influence over society, even outside of their own consumer base. And then we get to the really scary stuff, whereby brands are starting, the brands that are collecting data on you, that could be your user data based on how you interact with their systems, it could be through facial recognition when you go through their store doors. When those brands start then selling that data to governments or to third parties, even just other companies, that might not have that consumer's best interests at heart. So the classic example there would be things like, all your tech giants in China that are obligated, in fact, any tech company that does business in China is obligated to share user data with the Chinese government, which is creepy enough as it is, knowing that your data is being traded around. I mean, even Google's doing it now. They agreed to China's digital laws in terms of censorship and in terms of data sharing of the internet to get into that market. But it's the rules of place. If you want to interact in that market, you have to then fall under that, that umbrella and those sort of rules. But that becomes a problem when that person who's now buying that data is not necessarily doing it in your best interests. So in China, all that data that's being collected by all the various different tech companies is being amalgamated into these social credit scores that the government's busy implementing now. They're rolling it out. It's still in beta testing phase, but by about 2022, it's going to be compulsory. Mm-hmm. So everyone in the country will have a credit score, not just based on their financial credit history, but also about everything to do with what products you buy, who you're friends with, how long you spend on social media, all of those sort of things will determine what your rank is or your value to society as a whole. And if your score is low enough, you can get limited in access to everything from where you live to where your kids go to school, even down to who you marry. So that becomes quite creepy when this data that's being used by a state is being generated by the private sector. So you might, in the fullness of time, in 10, 20 years, even somewhere here in the West, all that data that Google's been collecting on you since you've had a Gmail account when you were 14 years old, all that data is being collected somewhere. And if that was one day sold off to your government, your government would know a whole lot more about you than you might necessarily want them to know. The scary thing about that is that we're in the woke era. We're always complaining about that, the fact that we're being discriminated against. And now we're just starting it all over again, just on scale. Absolutely. I mean, I love to draw the comparison between the Me Too campaign in terms of uninformed consents in the interactions between males and females in this world and uninformed consent in the tech space. You might technically be agreeing to the terms and conditions when you sign up for a Gmail account or get an iPhone, but you don't really know what you are consenting to. And it's pretty much the same issues we've been covering in the the whole social justice space in the Me Too era. So I feel like we need a new hashtag for that. Like a me three or something. <laughs> I love that. Um, first to touch up on one of your points, I believe purpose is not a strategy. Purpose is purpose. So 
you know, when brands say, okay, you can do or you can't do that, like we've seen recently with the Gillette ad, what's been happening there. I do think just you touching on the Me Too thing also, I think with that movement, um, I don't think everybody's really getting it. Yes. Um, <laughs> and it's quite controversial. But with that being said is, I think, as you mentioned, it is a very dangerous thing for brands to start telling society what to do. Yes, there's certain things from a woke perspective that's right and that's wrong, but how far that can go could become disastrous, right? Absolutely. And there's, there's good things too. This integration of the private sector with the state sector can be very beneficial. Like Uber sharing its rider user pattern data, not individual data, but the general pattern with city mm. planners to create better, more efficient road networks. That's great. That's absolutely fantastic. And even when brands are using their influence and playing judge and jury and executioner for good, like Chelsea and Lazio, the football clubs did by insisting now that fans who engage in anti-Semitic behavior will be sent on a club mandated holiday to Auschwitz to learn to atone for their sins. So that's a brand meeting out a punishment, which is something that hasn't really been done in the past, but they're doing that for good. So my whole message is that brands have more power than they've had over their consumers for a very long time because data is power. And with that power comes a lot of responsibility, but brands have a choice to decide whether to use that power for social good or for social ill. 100%. And not punishing your customers for giving you that data because they gave it with to you, understanding that you would respect that. So I think that is it for today. And is there anything else that you want to tell our audience that they might need to um, pay attention to? Well, just, just to end off with, just speaking to, to your point there, brands really do have a choice. You can go for the low-lying fruit. You can sell out your consumers for short-term gains. You can get that nice paycheck from the Chinese government to share all their user data with them. But once your consumers have been ripped off like that, they're not going to trust you anymore. We've all seen what's happened to Facebook. We all know how many people have closed down their accounts after we found out that our data was being used for ways that we weren't exactly comfortable with. And in which case, your company might not be around for long. All these big tech companies are new, and the average lifespan of a Fortune 500 company is down to just 10 to 15 years now. So the bigger they are, the harder you're going to fall. So you can play that game, or you can go for the harder route, the long, harder route, and invest in building long-term relationships with your consumers based on mutual trust, respect, and values. Mm -hmm. And you can choose to play that long game. But that's the only way you're going to survive 10, 20, 30, 40 years into the future is if you actually respect that relationship that you've built. Love that. Ladies and gentlemen, and for all of you out there, we just want to thank you for listening into another Trend Fit episode brought to you by Flux Trends. To our amazing audience spread far and wide across the globe, thank you so much for your support. Please do us a favor and take a moment to review and rate your favorite episodes, which will help others to find us. You can reach out to our guests by following the links in the episode show notes. Bye-bye now. You've been listening to The Carmen Murray Show, another solid gold podcast. For show notes and more episodes, visit solidgoldstudios.co.za slash Carmen Murray.